Well, welcome to Points of Change Live. Today, I am joined by a good friend and an amazing coach, a super badass business consultant and speaker, a trusted advisor, and a really solid person all around, Dana Farrant. Hi, Dana. We're going to be getting into it, talking about difficult conversations and how to handle difficult conversations very very shortly. Let's just roll the titles, and then we're going to get right into it. Welcome to Points of Change, the show where week by week I will be chatting with coaches, mentors, experts, change makers, people who have achieved or are helping other people to achieve incredible transformations in life, business, health, relationships or any area. Make sure you like and subscribe to the show and never miss an episode to find your points of change. I love doing that. Dana, <laughs> Dana, welcome to Points of Change. It's great to, great to be speaking with you. Oh, you too, John. I was so excited about this. I always love hanging out with you. You have like the best way for interviewing people. You really make somebody feel so relaxed and welcome. So, yay. Oh, I'm really pleased about that. Sometimes I think maybe I'm, I'm, I'm very laid back and, and I sometimes notice people and think, you know, I'm, I'm big on teaching people about energy and managing their energy and, and coming across well online because I see so many people who are just kind of a bit bit flat and no, they, they do well and they put a lot of content out but there's no real energy there it's like maybe they're maybe they've worn themselves out from creating all the content I don't know but, but the energy stuff is so important and, and I hope that even though I'm fairly laid back and relaxed that I still uh, I aim to still bring some good energy to stuff that I do as well and I know you do too right you're great at that thank you yeah, it's, you know, maybe they're tired from being a clubhouse for too long. We were just talking about that before we went live. <laughs> but there is, there really is something to managing your energy and really, you know, refining what's important. Now, I know that's not in the topic that we're going to talk about, but, you know, in all the things that we do, we need to make choices because there's so many options um, and standing firm in, in what's right for us, what works for us as individuals. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I'm loving Clubhouse, and it was it was great to talk to you about it. But I'm definitely not spending too much time on there. And we both think we're seeing a lot of people who are who seem to be on there like all day, every day, <laughs> yeah. uh, which, which is quite astounding. But uh, but uh, no doubt, it's uh, it's a great thing to be on and exploring at the moment. Who knows where it'll go if it'll last, if it'll burn out quickly. But it's it's been a bit exciting, at least, and uh, something something new and different. I don't want to spend too much time on Clubhouse has though and uh, thank you <laughs> thank you Dominic for the uh, for your comment we both have great uh, amazing energy that's really great to hear and uh, w- well we're here to talk about navigating difficult conversations Dana why are you the person to speak to about navigating difficult conversations <laughs> Okay, so a little bit of background if, if people watching don't know who I am. Uh, I spent six years as a dominatrix. And in that world, you have to first and foremost have a very difficult conversation about what do you want to explore? What's okay? What's not okay? And getting into like minute details. And oftentimes people who would come to me, you know, they've got these things they want to explore. It doesn't feel comfortable to talk about it. It's like it's taboo maybe I shouldn't maybe there's something wrong with me and so there's there's all of this going on in having that in-depth conversation that is vital 
in order to keep somebody safe inside the dungeon. So that's a lot of where my my pieces have come from. And then, you know, having run a seven-figure business, I was always the the person who handled the most difficult clients in in the business. So, you know, when their complaints couldn't be answered by my staff, you know, I was always the one escalated of like, ah, this person's, you know, and and I would be able to turn them around and have them become a raving fan. So becoming going from I hate you <laughs> to, wow, let me tell my friends. So yeah. I have some skills when it comes to being able to navigate difficult conversations. Unique skills as well. Very unique. Really <laughs> unique. I, I certainly don't know anyone who has anything like as close to the sort of profile and experiences that, that you do. And, uh, you know, I was a, a big fan before before we even spoke. I mean, we were introduced by by the lovely Cindy Ashton. Yes. And you you will remember, I'm sure, the very first time we, we spoke, I, I was like giddy with excitement and probably not for the reasons anyone watching things. I just couldn't <laughs> wait to speak to you because, because it was so fascinating to me that you're doing what you're doing and, and that you were talking about these experiences and um, the, a big part, a big part of what you do is bringing that sort of, um, dominant energy, the dominatrix energy into uh, what people do increasing confidence is confidence then a, a critical part of being able to to navigate difficult conversations? I would say it helps. I don't think it's critical. Um, I would say what is much more critical in a, in a difficult conversation is being willing to get out of the way. So being willing to put all of your stuff on the shelf, so to speak. And so you put your emotions, you put your judgments, you put all the, all the things that you have about that other person, and including expectations of where the conversation needs to go. When you can move that out and step into a space of just being super curious, like, okay, so this is what's going on. Tell me your side of it. When we can get to that space, that spot internally, that's the biggest thing that makes the shift. Now, there's a lot that goes on to getting to that space that we can talk about, but that is probably the single most critical aspect of having a difficult conversation. Mm. What then are, are the kinds of difficult conversations people most struggle with, do you think? Mm, I would say, you know, so I work a lot with business owners. I, I love, you know, the business mindset and all of those things. And and I would say the biggest one for most of my clients is in around having a client who's really upset. Say you took on, you know, I work with a lot of coaches and let's say they took on a client who paid them $50,000 and they get partway in and the client is not happy with the delivery or something. And there's, the, you know, there's the threat of, I'm going to do a charge back on my credit card or, you know, there's something that comes up and being able to step in when you've got, you know, $50,000 sitting on the line, that's where it gets harder to actually get yourself out of the way and drop mm. back into that place of, you know, curious and, you know, how else can we deal with this? How, what else is going on? Asking lots of questions. In the, in professional environments and in my, in my years of experience in coaching, where I've tended to encounter people talking about having these difficult conversations has been in kind of giving direct feedback to people, not necessarily clients, but sometimes even within their own businesses. Mm. And uh, and I sometimes talk about like my very first experience of that was uh, I, I was a bar manager. Like one of my first full-time positions was as a bar manager. And um, I was in charge of uh, a group of 
a group of young people, not much younger than myself at the time, but um, they, I was expected to keep their show rolling. And most people knew what they were doing. It was pretty easy to do. And then we brought in a, a new lad, and he was very good, very eager worker. But there was this one issue. <laughs> he had this appalling body odor, and um, and all of the all of the other staff kept complaining to me about it, and that ended up being the difficult conversation that I had to have with him uh, about you know how, what what more difficult conversation could you have than saying to someone. Um, we have a bit of an issue because you know people are noticing your body odor and you need to do something about it. Anyway, I did it. I did it as nicely and gently as possible. I even felt so bad. I even bought a can of deodorant, which <laughs> looking back, that probably was a probably made it worse. But yeah. um, I honestly didn't think he was going to come back again after that. Uh, but he did. And, and bless him, you know, that he dealt, dealt with it. The issue was done. I was like, oh, thank goodness for that. But it could so easily, it could so easily have gone sideways, that conversation. Well, and this is such a great example. So in in that situation, you know, the pieces that are going through your mind, I would imagine, are, you know, how well is he going to take it? Is he going to react badly? Um, is he going to be offended? And this is the thing that when when we have all of those preconceived ideas about what's going to happen, then we make it difficult because the actual yeah. circumstance is just it is just, hey, do you realize that you have bad body odor? that's really all that needs to be said. And then they get to say yes or no. And you're like, oh, okay, well, perhaps you're not smelling it or maybe you don't have a sense of smell or whatever it is, but we can all smell it and we're in a food industry. And so you need to deal with it. That's it, right? Like the reality is it doesn't have to be a difficult conversation. What makes it difficult is those pieces that we make up in our brain about how they're going to perceive it, how they're going, right? Is he going to come back? All those thoughts and worries. But when we let go of those and we just deal with what is, what is right in front of us, it stops becoming cult. Yeah. I, I spent, uh, you know, that's on my background. I spent uh, nearly 12 years working in the airline industry as well. So no, I stayed in, in the hospitality theme for a long time. And uh, so I, I was cabin crew for, for 12 years and I had a lot of those kinds of interactions with people, but, you know, both with not having to tell people about body odor so much, thankfully, but, but certainly awkward conversations or having to um, you know, very much face up uh, and front up to people. Um, both in professional you know, professional colleagues and passengers and you know, customer facing sort of situations it can be it can be difficult i think one of the things that i learned most from that that has always stayed with me is that to a greater degree depending on what you actually have to deliver you can say almost anything if you've got a smile on your face would you agree a smile I, and i would go further because there's the Hey, you look so nice today, right? <laughs> like that's I'm smiling, but you know it's sarcastic. So right. I would say it's a it's an internal smile. It's that piece where you like, okay, so let's find some joy that I feel some joy and genuinely let that come out. And then it is that playful energy and and approaching it of like, you know, hey, this person's probably going to take it better than I think they're going to take it, and then you can bring that that feeling up and show it, definitely showing it on your face because people do um, respond on a physiological level when you smile. Like you look at what happens, you know, baby smiles and what happens to everybody, everybody smiles. But the baby smile is innocent. It is pure. It doesn't have, it's not looking at you and going, oh, your eyebrows are a little crooked. <laughs> 
well, I'll smile at you anyway, right? They're, they're not doing that. And that's yeah. the difference is getting to this place where we can show up and just, you know, let that that feeling of joy come through, the feeling of, you know, love and, and kind of compassion for other people. I think maybe compassion is a better place to go rather than loving persons. But yeah. <clears throat> but I think in these kinds of when, when you know you have to have a difficult conversation with someone, you have to maybe deliver some feedback that isn't particularly good or, or you've had a complaint that you have to address or something like that, it, it automatically is a little bit awkward. So, so I do think the energy you go into in terms of uh, how you encounter it is, is going to be important. But so much of that does depend on the person you are going to be speaking to. Uh, in some situations, that may not be known, but in some in some circumstances, you might, and it might actually be not just a difficult conversation, but a difficult person. Yeah. <clears throat> so there are definitely, you know, people who are difficult um, in and of themselves. You know, for maybe it's genetic, maybe it's just you know they're hardwired in that way, or maybe they've had a lot of things, challenges going on in their life, and so they they approach everything with that lens of everybody's out to get me. And in those pieces, I think that's where, you know, discernment, one discernment of, is this, you know, a difficult personality that's never going to change? Um, in which case, just, you know, let go of trying to convince them, let go of needing for them to get it. And for the people who have the lens of, you know, seeing that the world is out to get them, that kind of perspective, lots of compassion. And, you know, gently just, you know, letting them know that there's like, what if I'm not, what if I'm not actually out to get you? Just leaving that, but not having to convince, again, we don't need to convince them entirely of our point of view. They're okay if they're mad at us. And the, the really difficult people, it's okay if they never get it and they're always mad at us. So mm. having space for the difficult conversation not to be fully resolved. And this is the thing is that when we go in, letting go of our expectation of how that needs to come out, navigating, I would say the successful navigating of a difficult conversation is not about having the successful outcome per se, but you coming out of it feeling still solid about who you are. That's what I consider successful because when mm. you're aiming for that, then you have the best chance of having a, you know, that quote unquote successful outcome. Some of the some of the difficult conversations are, are not just always difficult to deliver. Sometimes they can be difficult to to receive as well. And I know that in my experience uh, as a toastmaster and going to public speaking clubs, you, you really do put yourself in a in a situation there where you have to very quickly get get comfortable with feedback, and and to get over the sort of taking stuff personally. And not everyone does. You know, they, some people come and go very quickly in the clubs because of because of that because people don't like. Uh, people take it personally. People mm -hmm. feel feel attacked or criticized when they're just getting feedback. There, there are great ways of delivering uh, prof more professional feedback, and and I certainly have learned some of them. I hope, and I think I do a pretty good job now in those situations and environments of delivering positive feedback. But you know, I see both ends of the spectrum with some people who deliver feedback that's so nice and so gentle because they don't want to upset anyone at all, right. that it's meaningless. Yes. Uh, or some people that uh, you know, will list off everything that's wrong and uh, and it's this whole <laughs> sort of liturgy of, of errors and mistakes in a speech. And again, with, with too much of that, or too, just too much information in, in the feedback, 
again, it becomes meaningless. It's like, well, what, what am I actually supposed to remember? Then there's the people who do uh, what I usually call the shit sandwich, which is either <laughs> <laughs> something good, something really bad, something good, <laughs> and, uh, which again, I think is a really terrible way of delivering feedback. But I think that's what, you know, if you ask people about delivering feedback, uh, that's the one most people know. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have any pointers on actually delivering uh, delivering and receiving as a professional feedback? Mm, yeah, I, I, you know, I think it, you need to think about the person who's receiving it. If you do know them at all, to consider, you know, what is their style? What are they going to resp- respond to? So it's kind of like, you know, thinking in terms of, you know, the five love languages, we maybe need the five love, the five languages of feedback, because for some people, they really need that shit sandwich, because it's like, when you say to them, hey, I really love that you did this, then they're like, oh, I feel good. And they kind of open up and then they can receive that little piece of, and I would really love to see you do this better. And then, but I, and I also liked this. So that works for certain people. Um, and I would say it's the people who really love the praise. They, you know, they're more what I would call the celebrity style personality. You know, they love to be center stage and they are larger than life and tracking my tree. Um, you know, those people absolutely do the sandwich, the shit sandwich for somebody like me, who is a driven personality. I'm like, get to the freaking point. Okay. Just, you know, give me, but give me one or two nuggets. Don't, don't give me the laundry list. Um, and then, you know, other people, you need to be really soft. If people are in a place where they're really, really hurting, um, you're going to need to nudge it very, very gently. So right. I think understanding who the receiver is, is going to be important. And, and you can kind of gauge that by, you know, sometimes it's by experience, you know, in, in your club, you may not know that initially. Um, but you kind of watch out for cues of, you know, is it that person who's always kind of, you know, pulled in, maybe they tend to, you know, stand a little bit hunched over, well, be really gentle with those people. But the people who yeah. are like, larger than life, pump them up, give them the shit, pump them up again. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. That- <laughs> yeah. Probably in most professional settings, you get the opportunity to have that conversation privately. And, and I'm talking about a conversation that actually happens in front of a whole room full of people um, or uh, currently in a whole Zoom room full of people. Right. But um, it's it's a public conversation. And so one of the things that really matters in being able to to give feedback, uh, I think feedback that is actually useful and helpful is definitely to you want to highlight the good stuff and I always say end on the best, end on the thing you liked the most about what they did. Um, but you know, drop in a few of the things. Here's where there's some room for improvement, and uh, but not to actually address the person directly themselves. Talk to everybody because the whole point in those situations is the feedback is actually for everybody it's just mm-hmm. saying that this is what i observed in your speech but you know, these are there's something everyone can learn something from this so so you don't act you you're not supposed to directly directly address the person but talk to the yeah. room and I, when i yeah. saw this and this is what i saw and uh, this is what i liked about it or this is what i thought well, it could be improved upon um, it depersonalizes it just a little bit. So, um, but you also sometimes see people flinch and they're trying to do their sort of best, uh, just missed the Academy Award smile <laughs> to someone else and, uh, and not look too upset about it. But it is important for everyone to be able to get a bit more comfortable with receiving, giving and receiving these sorts of uh, 
Yeah. And when it comes to receiving, you know, the big thing I would say for, for people is to when you know that you're in a situation, let's, so let's do the, to take the Toastmasters, for example, because it's a great situation. So you've done your speech and you've got to the place where people are going to give feedback. Um, best thing to do is keep breathing. And, and, you know, jot the things down as if you are taking notes for somebody else. Try to stay out of your own pieces and then look at it later so that you have some space with it as opposed to allowing yourself to just be reactive to it um, and know that that it's coming. Where is it coming from? It's coming from a place that people really want you to, to see you succeed they want to see you do better and those are important pieces to keep in mind is like what's the what's the motivation of the person giving feedback um, and if they don't have your best interest at hearts then you can just ignore that feedback move on to the ones that do count yeah it does it the source matters with with these things for sure and uh, you know I, I often find myself saying to people um Always ask yourself, uh, but definitely if you feel attacked or you feel uncomfortable, you should check in at least what you think the other person's intention is in the situation. Because one thing is just, just even in asking yourself that makes you take a step back from the situation, helicopter out of it a little bit and observe it rather than just be in it. And then other options start to appear and you also hopefully start to step out of that taking it personally thing and recognizing actually this isn't about you when things get a bit prickly it's, it's about them it's, yeah. it's, it's about them it's a projection thing that that's what we tend to nearly always get a bit um we, we miss it if we can't if we can't get into the habit of being able to take a step back in, in those sorts of situations. So we, we spend a lot of time worrying about what other people are gonna say or how they're gonna react. And you mentioned that before. And I think for a lot of people that can be even uh, a reason to procrastinate, a good reason to put it off for, put off these conversations for as long as possible. Yeah. Um, but what, what, would you, what would your advice be to someone who's really trying to put off having one of those difficult or awkward conversations? Well, I, you know, depending on the level. <clears throat> so when I talk about difficult conversations, there's like, you know, your, your level one, which is, you know, it's pretty mild. And then, you know, then there's like the really intense, difficult conversations where it has potentially disastrous consequences. It could end your marriage, it could destroy your business. And so, you know, something that's pretty minor, it's just, you know, an upset customer that had bought a $97 package. Well, you know, at most, you're just going to give them a refund and, and let them go on their way. Um, so it depends on that level. The preparation is going to be in getting to the space where it's like, okay, how can I come at this from a place of compassion, from a place of openness? And the more challenging that conversation is, the more inner work that needs to be done prior to. So to be looking at, okay, why is this so triggering for me? Why is this so challenging? And, you know, if, if people need tools, happy to reach out to me and I can get you some tools for clearing out the emotional baggage so that it's easier for you to step into this conversation with that compassion, with that openness. And I would say, the more challenging, the more at risk, the more we're going to fire off our um, inner pieces around. Oh, you know, I may not survive, or somebody's gonna, somebody's going to leave me. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to, you know. So we start triggering off our core issues, which is what often makes it difficult, because the actual conversation is no more difficult depending on where it is in the scale, but our internal. Um, 
workings change the dynamic of how it feels for us. So the more critical, the more inner work that you need to do. Yeah, I, I wonder, and I, I know we probably all at some point in our life get to a point where we have to have um, a deep conversation, something a bit, what, what I've often in the personal development world heard called authentic conversation. <laughs> which, which I always feel like, well, hopefully all of your conversations are authentic, but but I, I get it. It's really just about, you know, it's like, well, we need to we need to get into some, some deeper stuff here. And... Um, those are sometimes the most difficult conversations, especially when it's with somebody who's who's very close to you, with a partner or a family member or uh, or someone you, you know, a very good friend or the likes, where we just get to a point where you have to deal with some stuff and clear it. And nearly, I say, probably in, in every, maybe just about every time that I have that, the the fears of what could happen or what could go wrong are very very far away from the reality of the situation because i think uh -huh. in, in almost every case it's uh, even if there's been an initial bit of shock or upset it's led to it's led to a conversation and it's led to um deeper understanding or perhaps even um enlightenment on both sides to be able to to figure out well, where where do we go from here or what what, what should happen next or whatever needs to come up from the conversation but certainly all the things that have been worried about beforehand probably most of the time just don't happen yeah and that's it reminds me of another tool of course and you you've probably heard this before but if you let yourself play out worst case scenario and you say okay what's the worst case scenario from this and then am i going to die if that happens can i survive it can i right and let yourself go through that that's a way for discharging kind of the the emotion from the from the anticipated event. Um, and then from there, it's like when you can get to the place where you are willing to go into that conversation and ask them questions, not make your point, not get your point across, but are you willing to ask questions and find out about them? Then I would say, you know, you're in a really good space to have a conversation that's going to have a you know, a good outcome, an outcome that allows both parties to go in the direction that they need to go, whether that is staying together or not. Yeah. What What would you advise or, or think about when you have to have a conversation with someone or you, you feel that you need to have a conversation with somebody about something that they are they are genuinely not aware of about themselves maybe more of a maybe more of a personality trait than an odor situation in this circumstance but 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 something that, that people are someone's just maybe being a bit too intrusive um overstepping boundaries um you know the the kind of things and i, and I know you've had because you told me about some of your experiences with people who who do that overstepping thing uh -huh. How how do you come back and approach that? Do you, do you do you actually have to have the conversation, or is it just the boundary setting? Or again, probably situational, but it is very situational, and it depends, you know, on you know how close the relationship is. Um, somebody that's very peripheral, you know, if it keeps happening, I'll just move them out because it's not there's not enough. Um, there for me to say I want to invest this kind of time but somebody who's a closer friend then then it's a you know opening that door of saying hey there's something that's really annoying me and I'd like to have a conversation with you and that's always that you know gut sinking uh, for both people right like oh it's that piece but yeah. opening the conversation with hey I adore you 
And no matter, you know, where this goes, I will still adore you. And then, you know, here's, here's what's bugging me. And, you know, what, what else can we do? What can we do? And having that openness to the situation will allow for things to unfold. And, and again, it comes back to you've got to stop running through the scenario in your head. Don't try to script the whole conversation because if you're scripting the conversation, you're not listening. Yeah. to the other person and the listening is the key you have to hear what's yeah. going on for them i think it's probably always best to avoid that cliche that everybody hates to hear i would just we need to talk <laughs> that, nobody wants to hear those words do they? That, we need to yeah talk and if what? you're on the receiving end of that the best thing to do is like okay take a deep breath Maybe it's not anything, you know? What if it's not anything? What if it's not a big deal? What if it's uh, something that I'm, it's like, I'm gonna, I'm oh. happy my husband does it and, it, and it's one of those things like, oh, what do we need to talk about? <laughs> so I have, I have no right. idea. We get it's never, it generally, it's never been anything bad. <laughs> right, it's just, I really don't like the way you're stacking the dishwasher. Or something like it, that, yeah. It can be, yeah, but our, our ingrained reaction to that, we need to talk, is usually that, and, and again, like I'm going to kind of generalize, but society-wise, the only times that people have said, we need to talk, is means you're in trouble, right? When your parents are like, we need to talk, you're like, mm. oh, you found out about my smoking. Oh, damn it. <laughs> right? Like, there's something bigger. And so we've, we get that ingrained into our system that that means we're in trouble. And that's the yeah. piece that's like, okay, take a deep breath. It doesn't mean I'm in trouble. I am not going to die. I'm all right. And then, you know, I wonder what this is about. Mm. I, I think it yeah, I think as we have this chat, it's going to be important at some point to have a, uh, and maybe with you, uh, but I had to have another conversation about actually dealing with difficult people so much as dealing with, <laughs> dealing with difficult conversations because they're not necessarily not necessarily the same thing, but the two can very much um, coincide from yeah. from time to time. But yeah, um, stay away from, please stay away from the, we need to talk unless, unless it is that. <laughs> because that's what everyone thinks. The first thing is like, okay, I've really screwed up or, or we're going to break up or we're going to. Yeah, or, or, yeah. or preface it like, hey, this is no big deal, but I just would like to talk about something. Like if you, if you soften it that way of like, it's probably all in my head. I just need to vocalize it. Can you give me a few minutes? Can you listen to me? You know, those yeah. are kind of some ideas for softening. <laughs> Can we talk? Yeah. How much, how, many, how much do you think mind reading plays a part of this? You know, when we, we tend to think that we know what someone else is thinking or what they're likely to be thinking. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the, the inappropriate and inaccurate mind reading? Yeah. Um, yeah. A, it's none of your business what the other person thinks. Right. And if you want to know, ask them. Don't assume. Like that's probably the biggest thing that that gets people whirling in their brain is like, oh, I think they're thinking this, and oh, they're they're going to think I'm this, and you know, hey, it's just none of your business. So get out of there, because the only way you're going to know is if they actually tell you, and mm -hmm. you know, they may or may not accurately tell you, and that's up to them. Yeah. Now, now this, this show is, is essentially about coaching, and I know a lot of the people, because I've designed it to be a lot of people, hopefully, who will um, tune in, are going to be working as coaches as well. 
And so I think one of the things that I do want to, to get to with you, and I don't want to take up too much of your day, but one thing that I think is important to get to is that a lot of coaches do not want to have um, difficult conversations with their clients. They kind of want to be their friend and, um, yeah, and they don't want to actually, you know, I think coaches can often see what's really going on with somebody and maybe sometimes you don't want to be the person to to deliver that uh, because it might not be what the client wants to hear. And, and there could be money on the line there with that. It's like, okay, well, uh-huh. you know, clients are paying you. You give them the, um, some news that they don't want to hear or some feedback that's a bit a bit on the nose for them, maybe they're going to back away or just decide they don't want to work with you anymore. What would you say to, to that? Because I'm sure you have some thoughts on that. So a lot of this comes back to your original setup, you know, just like when I was a dominatrix and we had the initial conversation, which would usually be about four hours. Um, in that time is when you negotiate. That's when you set up the parameters and you say, okay, so what happens what happens when I trigger you? And and I will I would talk to my clients and like, I'm gonna trigger you at some point. Pardon me. At some point, something that I'm gonna say is gonna hit a hot spot. And the secret is is that rather than running away and making me wrong, we lean in because those are the gold moments. Those are the moments that transform your life. And so in my work, I set that up as a parameter in that here's how we're going to deal with triggers. So, and I give my clients full permission. You are allowed to tell me to fuck off. You're allowed to tell them, give me the finger. You're allowed to do all of those things. And then you come back to the table. And that's the thing is that recognizing right from the get-go, I think will stop a lot of that bad behavior um, if you talk about it right at the beginning because good coaching should trigger people. It should because we want to bring that up and out. We want to change the behavior. Um, so if we're not, you know, poking at the bear, uh, are you actually doing your clients a, a, a true service? And yeah. if you're not comfortable with that, then, you know, start playing, start role playing with people to get comfortable with making people uncomfortable. And this is where I have an advantage as a, as a coach. I'm good. You know, if people are uncomfortable, if they're squirming in their seat, I'm like, woo, it's kind of exciting. <laughs> right? Do you know there's something going on? Right. right? This is the it's, thing. It's like if yeah. you're if you're telling if you're giving somebody feedback that they're just like whatever it's like you're not hitting anything so right. okay well that, that's not that's not getting to them they're getting people to start their faces start reddening up or uh, they start getting a bit angry or a bit more defensive you know you're getting into something that needs to be uh-huh. dealt with and this is one of the things i often find myself reminding my clients of and i don't think i'm probably i'm probably fairly uh, calm with most of my clients i'd say but i do i, I am honest with them I, and i will i will generally go through the whole thing of saying to them okay this is clearly bringing some stuff up for you and i encourage you to be grateful for that because it means there's something to deal with (laughs) and and so once you have awareness that there's something to deal with you can do the work of dealing with it and so you know i don't say say thank you to me for for getting you annoyed or or whatever but you know uh, but just to, to get into a state of gratitude, because there's so many things in life that can can be those triggers, not necessarily just mm-hmm. a coach, that if you do get into a mindset of just being, oh, thank, thank you, that brings some stuff up for me that clearly I've got some issues around that that I could mm-hmm. do with working on or working through, that it is actually a gift. 
Uh, we it don't is. always feel that at the moment. So, but I, I, in my life as much as possible, try to be be that myself and say, okay, some stuff's coming up from that. And uh, thank you for this situation or this like annoying person or situation that has brought this up yeah. because uh, because I need to deal with something here. And and it's great. Like I love I love that you brought that up because it, it's really good conditioning for the rest of our lives. So if we can, you know, when we're coaching people and we're teaching them to lean in to the triggers, to be grateful for them, to like, okay, see, like this is what's going to bring about the gold. Then there's that we're imprinting for that to happen in the rest of their life too. And th this is the thing: it's like we're always going to get triggered. We're always going to have things that annoy us. And if we can get to the place where we're like, "All right, it's kind of uncomfortable, but I'm feeling grateful," um, then we get to enjoy more of our life because there are, unfortunately, a lot of things that are annoying. But being able to shift that to say, "Oh, hey, I welcome that." I welcome all of that, all of the things, not just the good stuff, but the bad and the ugly and all in between, then all of our life has this underlying thread of, hey, I kind of enjoy this. It's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it does actually get to being a little more playful because if uh -huh. anything, I think if you get into this whole like uh, defensiveness or know, some really strong anger or whatever it is that you, you may go to once you feel triggered, it does inhibit your ability to be able to think clearly and, and respond clearly. Whereas if you start to recognize that's coming up and you, you take that step back and say, all right, some stuff's coming up here and thank you, I'm grateful for this. Yeah. Uh, immediately, you're already putting yourself in a situation where that you have a bit more flexibility. Uh, you, you have a choice of how you react or respond to this. You, you are noticing rather than being in it. Yes. Uh, and that that is really an important element to be able to pick the direction, pick, at least have an opportunity to ask yourself, what would actually be the best way to respond to this? What's the, what's going to deliver the best outcome here? Not just what's going to make me feel better in the moment, lash my tongue at you and uh, see how deep I can cut, but what's actually going to create the best outcome? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I had, a, I had a situation a while back where um, I ended up, I, I was walking my parents' dog, this is a few years ago, because she, she's not with us anymore, but I was walking my parents' dog for them, and uh, I started having this conversation with uh, the, this old lady who was in a wheelchair, and she was accompanied by, I'm assuming, her daughters. Anyway, um, she it was all very pleasant, she was saying how much she liked the dog and all that, and then she insulted me. <laughs> so, um, basically saying how pretty the dog was and uh, how not pretty I was. And I, Oh, oh, thank you wow. for that. Uh, my first, the first thing I wanted to do was like say something like, uh, "Okay, well, uh, you know, at least I'm not a death door or something." You know, so, some something mean, um, but I didn't. Uh, you know, I, I thought to myself, "Okay, well, I'm just noticing that uh, you know that's not very nice," and but I, I didn't. I don't feel that insecure about myself. So I think, okay, well, you know, um, I do think she was mean, <laughs> but then also that thing in my head is going on well she may have some sort of dementia that I you know I have no idea or oh, she may wow. just be a very nasty person either way um what's the best way for me to respond to this and this was like okay well have a nice rest of your evening and walk off because if, if it was if it was that the intention was to be mean me not biting and getting upset by it was the best response. Absolutely. If, if it was that she actually had uh, dementia or something else going on, then me being a bit kind and not uh, not getting into it was also the best response to have. 
me being nasty back would only have made me feel better in a moment. But I can guarantee you the rest of that night, I'd have been like, oh, no, I feel really bad. I should never have said that. That's it. It's not worth it. It's, you know, no. it's like eating a five pound chocolate bar and then you got to, you know, we're sweating out of the gym for the next two months. Right? Right. <laughs> like, it's just not worth the pain. <laughs> it's not worth it. Absolutely. So I want, I want to uh, sort of circle back to, we, we're talking about the coaching situations. What if, as a coach, you haven't set up that sort of um, relationship initially, but you in a situation where you do need to deliver some authentic feedback, is it too late or can you still set up those parameters? I think you're, you know, again, it's going to depend on the situation, whether it needs to be immediate. If it doesn't need to be immediate, this is kind of a long-term ongoing situation, <clears throat> then I would say let's take some time to set up the scenario and, you know, educate them, educate your client about, you know, hey, when things are triggering, this is a chance for us to grow. It's a chance for us to lean into it. It's a chance to build resiliency and, you know, take them back to a time when they had that experience, you know, find a connection to, okay, I had something that was really challenging. And by leaning into it, I got these gifts. When you can connect them to that, then you can start to shift them in the fact of like, good coaching can often stir things up for people and it, and it brings that gift forward. And the nice thing is, is that, you know, if you trigger your clients, not intentionally, I don't intentionally try to trigger people, but if they're triggered in that moment, I'm also there for them and able to walk them through and untangle it. So it's brilliant. And this is the thing you want to educate people is that this is ideal. Like if we get to something and you're really, you know, things are really triggered, hopefully it's not in that last two minutes of the session. (laughs) (laughs) But if you can get, then you can work through it and you can use all of your tools to move your client into that space of gratitude for Mm. the uncomfortable moment. That whole process is going to set set you set the stage for being able to say okay listen we got I see a pattern going on here are you willing to listen yeah have you have you ever come across um a, a book or and there's some, some I think there's still some video and stuff around as well uh, called provocative therapy it's uh it was uh, a therapist an Irish therapist called Frank Farrelly uh he's no longer with us but uh, but his work lives on <laughs> although it's not very well known about um hmm. but it was developed into a a coaching um a coaching style as well from a guy called Jack Hollander but again I haven't heard much from from Jack Hollander for a while so I don't, I don't know what the situation is with that but um but really the whole idea or principle behind it is like poking the bear it is like doing the stuff that's going to trigger those responses with your clients to get get it up there and be able to push through it with them yeah and, and that was the whole the whole principle of it really fascinating books yeah mm, um, i'll have to check ever, that out because it sounds yeah. like some of there's like an element of that with what i do for sure um because there is i i do intentionally like um so one of the, the tools that i use is a, is a statement clearing process and i get people to say a statement so that it brings up the emotion and then you know we get it discharged from the system and 
you know, that is, that is a, a poking the bear. I had somebody recently call it exposure therapy. I'm like, Ooh, actually, that's a good way to think about it. <laughs> you know? So I could see some benefit. I'm, I'm curious to, to, so provocative therapy, is that what it Provocative is? therapy is the name, the name of the book that I got about it. Uh, there is, there is some stuff online on, on, uh, I think if you look it up online, you can find the website if it's, if it's still up, um, that had some video and, and some stuff in there. The book isn't, isn't, I don't think it's still in print, but you know, you can probably still get hold of a copy. The, the provocative coaching, I think, is uh, certainly should be a lot lot easier to get hold of a copy of that. Okay. But it's, it's based on it's based on Frank Farrelly's uh, provocative therapy oh, as cool. well. But as, as a coaching tool, it's I think it's really important and one that I, I don't think nearly enough coaches do. And one of, one of the reasons why um, I've always been always had a really hard time finding coaches is because it is actually quite hard to find those people who will give you direct feedback who will be willing to push your buttons because yeah. everyone wants to be nice but like i said earlier it doesn't help it's like you can be yeah. as nice as you want and that we can have a lovely conversation and feel like oh that was nice but it actually doesn't help it doesn't change anything it doesn't deal with anything it doesn't get you processing anything no. so poking the bear a bit is a, <laughs> is essential really to some degree you need to so. be a bit of an antagonist as a coach <laughs> Yay! I'm doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, I am too. Uh, but, but I think that no, I do think there's always room for more. I don't like this whole sort of um, tough love thing to the degree of doing it just for the sake of being mean. You know, I don't, I don't like that. Yeah. It's like this shouldn't be just for the sake of it, not just so you can call yourself uh, what you what you might think is a badass. It's like it's like well, you know, a badass is someone more like you. <laughs> it's like it really comes it comes from that and actually live it and and you are it rather than someone who's just like there's that um, chain restaurant in uh, in the US. Maybe it's in Canada as well. Um, Dick's Last Resort. Do you know the one where you go know. along and and the the staff insult you? <laughs> It's like that. That's the theme. The staff are really <laughs> insulting. I love it. And uh, so I, I think I was in Baltimore the first time, and we went. I went in there with a whole group of. Uh, this is when I was cabin crew. Went in there with a whole group of crew, mainly because we couldn't find anywhere else to go, and most of us refused to go to Hooters. And so we went. Good. We went to Dick's Last Resort, not knowing. None of us knew what the theme of this place was, and then we start getting insulted by all these waiting staff. It's like, okay, um, then. At some point, one of them had to say to us, that is what this restaurant is about. Uh, it, it's our theme. It's our thing. And it's like, yeah, well, you need to cool it. Otherwise, we're just going to go somewhere else. Well, it's or like, you need to prep people, right? There needs to be a sign yeah. at the front door to say, listen, this is what this is about. If you yeah, haven't, if you don't like, know. Because I, I like actually, yeah, I no was idea. at a, um, a restaurant in Vancouver. There's a, there's a breakfast place like that. And it's um, it's run by a gay couple um, and it just the waiters that they have, they just have like the best one-liners, but you know, going in. And so my girlfriend yeah. and I went in and, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, girls. We don't have any pitcher bendy. It was for you blondies, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. It was just like little quips, but when you know, it can be very funny. If you yeah. don't know, that's what you're getting in for. It feels mean <laughs> and rude. Yeah, it, it, exactly that. So no, I'm not. I'm not. All, I'm not for being a dick just for the sake of being a dick. Especially, especially yeah. if you're in a coaching or professional situation, it's not hard ass. It's it's not uh, boss like. It's actually you know probably only really 
potentially serves to someone's own ego because they want to think of themselves as being some tough guy or tough woman and uh, it, it's it's actually really unprofessional in my opinion <laughs> yeah. but there are those times you know, and i think it's much more impactful if you're not like that all the time hopefully then it's much more impactful when you are when you yeah. do it because it serves a purpose and because it's serving whoever you're in conversation with and um, it it's a it's a big wake up whereas and I think if you when, know, you know, it's not yeah when when you have a strong relationship built with the person and this is part of where i really like to work with people long term because three months you're just building up that connection that that point where you can really call people to the carpet and so when i work with people you know over a couple of years then i can really like in five minutes get right to the point and say listen this is what's going on this is what needs to shift and move it out so you do need some rapport before you start calling people to the carpet yeah, def definitely. You need to establish some boundaries, some connection. And, and you know, I, 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 ask for, I will ask for permission. Clients, ex-clients of mine will be able to tell you that if, if I feel that we're doing the kind of coaching where I need to be able to do that, I'm going to ask them for permission and say, oh. you know, sometimes I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick your ass on this and I want your permission to do that. Is that okay? So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's what I want. That's what I need. Yeah, that's what, that's what I thought. Okay, we're all good. <laughs> and then you can remind them when they balk at it and say, you gave me permission remember i, I remember having, <laughs> having a client one time who honestly thought that i was going to get on a plane and fly over to england and, and literally kick her ass I was like, <laughs> no <laughs> no but we are going to talk about this okay <laughs> it's going to be more of a conversational ass kicking if that's okay yeah uh, but yeah it was funny so i have to do it otherwise i think you're going to be buying a plane ticket so. Okay, no, <laughs> but to some degree, I'm kind of glad that you, you think that, but but I'm also not that mean as I'm not actually, I've, I've never actually inflicted violence on any of my clients for, for any reason at all. And, and yeah. neither should any other coaches, I hope. Oh, let's so, hope not. <laughs> let's yeah. hope not. So, <laughs> Dana, this has been a, a really enjoyable conversation. There's so much more we could talk about, but also I'm also very wary of time here as well. I think definitely we'll have you back in the future for some for some more conversations. And uh, I know there's plenty for us to talk about. I know, and uh, and I, I'm much more with this show. I, I definitely want to have more regular people on as well because I think it's. Uh, it's kind of a community like coaches coaching personal development professional development it's a it's a big old community and, uh, and we can all help yeah. each other out a lot and also hopefully some value for people who are just interested in and uh, into personal and professional development for themselves too for those who do want to find out more about you and what you do and and all the amazing things you teach and work with people on how, how can people do that so I have uh, the notoriety being the only Dana Ferrant in the world. So it is super easy to find me. Uh, website or LinkedIn would be my two places that I would direct you to. Excellent. And LinkedIn is a, is a good place to connect with you. So you, you post quite a bit of stuff on there. You, you're on Clubhouse as well at the moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Regardless, it's getting started. Regardless of our feelings about it, yeah, yeah, you're on there. I'm, I'm on there too. For anyone who wants who wants to connect me on Clubhouse is uh, at Johnny Ball. You can connect with me there. Connect with Dana as well. I didn't get uh, enough time before the show to put her uh, to think about That's putting okay. her details. You just look up my name, honestly. Yeah. You'll find it better. Thank you to everyone.
everyone who has tuned into the show today. We've had a few people coming and going on the live, and uh, the show will be coming out live soon. I'm going to be doing all the shows live now. So if you get a chance to tune in with us live, feel free to ask questions in the question box in future and uh, post your questions for Dana, James, whoever is coming on the show, and uh, we'll be ha we'll do our very best to answer them for you. But for now, this is uh, this is points of change uh, wrapping up for today. Thank you, Dana, and uh, for the rest of you, have a wonderful rest of your day and an amazing week. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please remember to like and subscribe and leave us a review. The next points of change is going to be with the incredible Mark Pitcher, who's going to be talking about some of his experience in recovering back to life and happiness after the suicide of his son and how he has now created meaning from that and is on a much happier path and experience. So it sounds pretty intense, but it's actually a really lovely conversation. Do join us for that. Make sure you like and subscribe. See you next time.